Coming up on Studios America, it's all crypto all the time today. We'll touch on some of the latest news and talk with two people who know more about Bitcoin than just about anybody. It's Obik Roy and Natalie Brunel, as we do The Promise of Bitcoin. Stu Does America. Just a few days away from the Super Bowl. I know you're very excited if you're a Bengals fan or a Rams fan, but who's going to win the Super Bowl? The answer, of course, Matt Damon, because Matt Damon's going to be on every freaking commercial. He's going to be on your television constantly telling you about with people in spacesuits about how fortune favors the brave. We are there. We are in crypto ad time. That's what happens now. Apparently, uh, every big commercial is purchased uh, by some crypto company wanting you to uh, make your crypto investments there. And look, we've been talking about cryptocurrency on this show uh, and back on the radio show since like 2014. And I really hope back in 2014 you were driving in your car and you were listening to me and Glenn blather on on the radio about this new Bitcoin thing. And you said, you know what, maybe I'll just buy a little bit of that just just in case these idiots are right for once. Well, you know, every once in a while the sun shines on a dog. You know, you know the whole thing, the whole thing there. You know the thing, as Joe Biden would say. Uh, One of the reasons why we talk about Bitcoin a decent amount on this show is because, well, there's a couple things. There's a couple different stories we like to talk about. One, everybody likes the story of the guy who invested $1,000 10 years ago, forgot about a hard drive in his basement, opened it up, and now he's a multimillionaire. I just love that story. I love the story of the guy digging through the, uh, the, the garbage dump to try to find his old computer because it's now worth $300 million. I just like those stories. And I'll always bring those to you no matter what. Even if none of those stories existed, even if the price stuff wasn't interesting, even if you didn't have investments yourself in crypto, crypto is important particularly to conservatives at this time. It's important to everybody, I think. But if you think about the solutions we're talking about, think about the cancellations, the silencing of speech, the government crackdowns, the, the, the passports, and all of these things that can make regular, good old, normal American life feel like it's slipping through our fingers, how on earth can you protect that? And the answer to almost all of these things, outside of like, you know, embracing God and the Constitution, all that's really important too. But the technical solution to so many of these things is cryptocurrency and the blockchain technology, more specifically, it's built on. You know, I'm a huge believer in Bitcoin. Uh, I've been talking about it for a long time with you. And, I, and I, I, it's taken, I think, uh, I've always liked the idea that, number one, you've seen this with MMT, modern monetary theory. We've seen over the, over the years, uh, Bitcoin has a limit. There's 21 million of them, and they can't inflate it. And that's a huge, huge benefit when you look at the competition between a Bitcoin and, you know, fiat currencies. You see what they do. When they want to print trillions of dollars, they just do it. And I'm not comfortable with that. And I think that connects and has connected with the audience for a long time. People understand in the conservative movement, we need to do something about that. Uh, and then secondarily, you know, this idea of censorship. You know, think about uh, a blockchain social media uh, that's backed on blockchain, has that spine on blockchain. You can't edit it. No company can come in and say, well, we're going to get rid of these people. We don't like the way they're tweeting this week. We don't like what Joe Rogan is saying on Spotify. Well, if his you know, podcast was held on blockchain, there'd be nothing that anyone can do about it. Uh, you see the way that governments crack down, and we don't want that. 
I know you don't want that. And cryptocurrency, blockchain, Bitcoin, all of these things can help solve those problems. Coming up after the break, we'll take a look at the Bitcoin situation in El Salvador, where they're really doing something interesting with Ovik Roy. He's the president of the Foundation of, for Research on Equal Opportunity. Specifically, the, the, the effects on a small country, the massive shift in national currency, all sorts of pressure from international banking. Um, what can we expect? Can we expect other countries to follow suit? We'll also talk about the messaging on cryptocurrency here in the United States as it continues to be about as muddled as the CDC's advice on COVID. How do we open up more people's eyes to the benefits of integrating Bitcoin more in our, in our society as a whole? We'll get into that with Ovik Roy next. We've seen this happening quite a bit lately. Uh, HR issues can kill companies and wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, all of this stuff swirling around you. How do you do your actual job? How do you run your actual company? Uh, you can pay an HR manager, uh, you know, $70,000 a year, and maybe they'll take care of it. Or you can go to Bambi, B-A-M-B-E-E. They were specifically created for small business. You have a dedicated HR manager available by phone, email, or real-time chat, onboarding, terminations. They can do all of it. They can customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, -day, all for just $99 a month. Month-to-month, -month, no hidden fees. You can cancel at any time. Go to Bambi.com slash right now. Schedule your free HR audit at Bambi.com slash stew. Don't forget the slash stew part of the address because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Save a ton of cash and make sure you're, you're, you're in line with what you're supposed to be doing with your HR. It can just brutalize your business. Bambi.com slash stew. I'm happy to welcome back to the program Ovik Roy. He is the president of the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity and a senior advisor to the Bipartisan Policy Center. Ovik, how's it going? Hey, Stu, how are you? Really Very well. Interesting day. Yeah, really interesting day. I, you know, I don't think people realize what a big deal this is. We, we you know, I, as we've, you know, I've been talking about cryptocurrency for a long time. I think it's a really interesting thing. And one of these things that kind of has always been dangling out there in the future was a thought that at some point, some small country, maybe with a, a, an economy that's not so stable and wanting to change things up and invite investment, would adopt Bitcoin as part of their real economy and it seems like this is actually happening yeah i think you know in terms of the bitcoin story or the cryptocurrency story more broadly this is the most important development of the year and possibly of the decade this is something as you alluded to Stu, that people didn't expect to happen for another 10 years for a sovereign country to adopt bitcoin as its national currency to effectively implement a bitcoin standard like the gold standards of the old days. So this is a huge development and it's going to have huge consequences for the global financial system because all it takes is one country to pilot this and prove that it can be done for a lot of other countries to want to do it in the future. It really is amazing. And you, you have an article called El Salvador, by the way, that's the country, El Salvador to make Bitcoin legal tender a milestone in monetary history. It's a great, uh, if you want to go understand this from the beginning to the end, you go through this story. You point out in a way uh, yes, El Salvador is doing this, but in a way, it's a result of the United States and the actions we've taken over the past year. Can you explain this? Absolutely. So one of the most, most important reasons why El Salvador looked at this as, a, as an important step is because right now, El Salvador's official currency is the U.S. dollar. In fact, 
the, the El Salvador government imports freshly printed U.S. dollars from the Federal Reserve to supply its own citizens with U.S. dollars. So a lot of Latin American countries have been through currency crises and crises and hyperinflation crises in the past, where their currency basically crashed. Venezuela. This has happened to Venezuela recently. A lot of mismanagement of currencies, um, and and so an, in, there was a trend a few decades ago. Uh, of countries adopting the U.S. dollar and saying, you know what, we're just going to, since all of our trade, almost all of our trades with the U.S., let's, uh, instead of, uh, of our own currency, hitch our wagon to the U.S. The U.S. has a stable monetary policy. There's very low inflation. We can count on that. Let's just stick to that. But what's happened since COVID is very different from that pattern, where all of a sudden, over the last 15 months, we've had this massive fiscal blowout where the government is spending trillions and trillions of dollars paid for by nothing, basically. Mm -hmm. And then in order to fund that newly issued federal debt, the Federal Reserve is printing U.S. dollars out of thin air to buy that excess debt that the rest of the market world market doesn't want. And so if you're... El Salvador, you're like, well, wait a minute. Those dollars are flowing to U.S. banks. Those dollars are flowing to U.S. institutions. They're not flowing to us. All we're seeing is the dollars that we hold have less purchasing power today than they did before. And they're like, we need to make sure that we have a hedge in case uh, there's more inflation in the U.S. and less purchasing power for us. This is really, really incredible. And it's funny because, you know, Bitcoin in many ways was created to fight off problems like this. And now it's becoming... Uh, a currency for a nation because of those types of, uh, of things, bailouts and, and printing and everything else. Can you tell us a little bit about the, 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 the leadership of El Salvador? Why are they the ones doing this? Yeah, so the president of El Salvador is a guy named Naib Bukele or Bukele. He's the son of a Palestinian businessman who emigrated to El Salvador. He's uh, 39 or 40 years old, young guy, millennials, fond of wearing a baseball cap backwards. So a young guy, as we know, Bitcoin and, and crypto tends to be a thing that younger people in the U.S. and around the world are more interested in because they've grown up. In, in, a, in a, their adult lives have been basically surrounded by financial dislocation and crises. So they're much more interested in this stuff, interested in an alternative to the current system. He, he formed a new party a couple of years ago called Nuevas Ideas or New Ideas that basically has a, a two thirds majority in the legislature in, in what they call the National Assembly or uh, and, and then he's the president. So he has he's pretty popular. He has 90 percent approval ratings by independent pollsters, young guy trying to shake things up. And uh, because his party also has this uh, large majority, once he proposed this bill, the likelihood was pretty high that it would pass. And in fact, uh, they shipped it over to the assembly last night and it passed with a three to one majority. So almost three quarters of the assembly voted in favor. It will go into effect in 90 days. Uh, really incredible. And so what does this actually mean for the country? I mean, it's it, they still are going to keep the U.S. dollar, at least that's my understanding. But Bitcoin can be able, you can use it at every store. I mean, it's really going to be that widespread. Yeah, so that was, uh, that was a key thing that they specified. There were a lot of questions after the initial announcement at the Bitcoin conference in Miami of what exactly does this mean that you're going to declare Bitcoin legal tender? Because normally what that means is it's a currency, just like the U.S. dollar. You can use it for uh, paying your taxes. You can use it for paying interest at the bank. And you can use it to buy your groceries, right? And the question was, was he really going to go that far? And in fact, that's what the bill says. The bill actually specifically says every economic agent in El Salvador has to accept Bitcoin as payment. Now, 
in order to smooth out some of the volatility of Bitcoin, what the country has done is actually very sophisticated. They've actually said, we're going to build this back end where if you if somebody pays you in Bitcoin and you don't want to hold Bitcoin yourself because you're worried that it goes up and down all the time, we're going to build a $150 million trust, the government of El Salvador will, that will buy your Bitcoin off of you and give you US dollars at the current market price. And that way, you don't have to hold Bitcoin if you don't want to. But if you want to, you're welcome to. And if over time, Bitcoin appreciates relative to the US dollar, you're probably going to win with that trade. Uh, very true. So one of the things that's interesting about this is that if you, I think around the world, we've seen certain areas uh, signal positive uh, intent with Bitcoin and some signal negative intent. I think we're seeing this around the country now where, you know, Miami, for example, uh, the mayor there is is constantly inviting people, talking to people about Bitcoin, talking about crypto, having conferences there and everything else. Where you see, you know, I would say Biden, certainly Janet Yellen seem negative. Donald Trump just the other day was on television saying it was basically a scam and it was competing with U.S. currency and he didn't like it. Um, when a country like El Salvador signals something like this, this could make a really big difference uh, for foreign investment and for people just moving there with lots of money. Well, uh, all of the above, you know, I think what's uh, what's been kind of interesting about this whole thing is, you know, the Bitcoin community, one of the things you hear a lot about Bitcoin is, well, I don't know about Bitcoin. I think if it ever gets too big and, and too successful, the U.S. government will ban it. Mm. Right? That's been one of the, the, the concerns or fears or skepticism that's been out there. Well, it's a lot harder to ban if it's the sovereign currency of a, of, of a freestanding country. Right? The, if the U.S. is to say, well, because we don't like Bitcoin, we're going to treat El Salvador the way we treat Iran and basically prevent them from interacting with the global economy. That would be a pretty extraordinary level of interference by the United States at this moment. I mean, yes, historically, the U.S. has uh, has, has done plenty of things in Latin America. But in terms of, of this moment, post-Iraq, the idea that we're going to go through that kind of those lengths to prevent El Salvador from having its own currency, that would be pretty hard to understand. And I think a lot of American voters would be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Right? Yeah. So I, I just don't see any appetite in the government for that. And so that's really important because that in and of itself creates a haven for Bitcoin, right? Here in the US, as you said, Janet Yellen doesn't like it. She thinks it's fake internet money. Jay Powell doesn't like it. You know, the SEC and the, and various regulators are, are always complaining about it. So a lot of people who are tech entrepreneurs, Bitcoin entrepreneurs, crypto entrepreneurs in this country are like, why am I here? Why am I doing all this in America when I don't even know if America is behind me when I'm trying to deliver this innovation to the country? You have a country like El Salvador saying, you're welcome over here. Come over with, with everything you got and we'll welcome you with open arms and allow you to not only build your businesses here, but you will not pay any taxes because Bitcoin is the is the local currency. So you won't there's nothing to actually gain. One Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, regardless of what it does relative to the US dollar. So so that is gonna and, and people just want that sense of endorsement, right? I think the Bitcoin community and the crypto community craves that sense of we're not merely we're not these outsiders we're not these misfits we're actually people building real enterprises and new financial institutions that are more inclusive than the old ones hmm. yeah i mean i think that's I, it seems really exciting i i will say i'm very excited about this and i you know i have um it, it does seem like a massive development 
Have you put thought into the idea, though, that this could actually be somewhat difficult to implement? And could there be problems? Uh, could there? I mean, you know, the thought popped into my head of like, you've got your whole Bitcoin, you know, balance on your phone. You know, who knows what kind of criminal, uh, you know, sort of elements could, you know, there's a lot of corruption uh, in Central America, as we know. Is there is there a, is a thought that this could go badly and then other countries aren't going to want to do it? Uh, I mean, that's certainly something to uh, to pay attention to. But I think what's really impressive about the El Salvador uh, uh, project is how well that's all been thought through. So one of the things a lot of people don't know, obviously, El Salvador has just popped into the news this weekend on this topic. But uh, people in El Salvador have been building Bitcoin native communities for a long time. There's a there's a famous experiment called Bitcoin Beach, where basically a bunch of crypto entrepreneurs moved to this uh, this beachfront area called El Zante, a surf town in uh, in El Salvador, and basically with some philanthropic donations, built this community of people who got paid in Bitcoin, shopped for their groceries in Bitcoin, paid for their surfing lessons in Bitcoin. And it was that experiment that's been going on for several years uh, and it has been working that actually emboldened the Salvadoran government to take that pilot project nationwide. So they've actually solved a lot of these problems already. And the way their their uh, their Bitcoin system will work is, you know, if if um, if you go to a grocery store and you want to pay a dollar for a bag of tomatoes and it's one dollar in USD, you, you send the money with your app, kind of like you would with the Square app or the Venmo app or something like that. And the money is is transmitted from you to the grocer in Bitcoin, but it can be instantly converted back to US dollars if that's what you want. If you don't want to hold the Bitcoin on your balance sheet or in your account, you can convert it back to dollars. And in fact, uh, what President Bukele said last night is that the Salvadoran government is going to be establishing a $150 million trust that will buy the Bitcoins off of you and give you US dollars in exchange at the market rates so that you don't have to hold the Bitcoin in your balance sheet. So they, they've been thinking this through and, and there's an exemption to the rule, the requirement that you have to accept Bitcoin if you live in a place that doesn't have broadband or you don't have a smartphone for some reason. So they're, they're trying to basically say, look, we're gonna, we're gonna make sure that everyone has access to the technology and if you don't, we're gonna give you some time to get adapted to it. And we're going to do all the things we need to do to support the 70% of the, the Salvadoran population that doesn't have bank accounts today. So this is a massive step for including those individuals into the financial system who don't have bank accounts today. And it's going to do a lot, I think, to reduce crime because you know, you know what the, the best tool for crime is? paper US dollars, right? <laughs> that you, you, you stick in a suitcase and you give to someone because no one can trace that. Bitcoin transactions can be traced. That's why the FBI was able to nail the colonial pipeline hackers just uh, recently, right? That announcement came out yesterday, the day before, because Bitcoin transactions all get sent like an email from one address to another address to another address. And if you're pretty sophisticated about tracking that, you can track where the money goes. So I would actually bet that corruption in El Salvador will decline as a result of adopting Bitcoin, not the other way around. Yeah, people always think that Bitcoin's uh, this really secretive. I mean, if you want a, a privacy coin, there's Zcash, there's Monero, there are options in that world. Uh, but Bitcoin isn't like that exactly. I mean, it's there are privacy elements to it. If you, but as soon as you know the address, you can track lots of stuff when it comes to Bitcoin. Uh, one more thing, Avik, uh, before I let you go, and this is me just. Uh, with a good old burst of American exceptionalism here. 
and I feel like I'm being dinged a little bit in my American exceptionalism. As I see, you know, we're, we, I, I've been thinking about this report that came out from ProPublica Pro this week where uh, they, you know, are going after all these rich people, these evil rich people for not paying enough taxes. We seem to have come to a point in America where we vilify people who are, who are the creators, who are the people who have earned uh, lots of money and they might be wealthy, but they've brought a lot to the, to the country and, and to the economy. And here's El Salvador doing the exact opposite. They're saying, hey, we want you, if you're innovative, if, if, you've, if, you're, if you're thinking in a, in a different way, we want you to come here. And I, I just don't like how El Salvador is outdoing the United States in a way here. I think there's very good potential that 10 years from now, Stu, if we're, we're sitting at this table uh, virtually or in, in person, that we're gonna be saying that El Salvador is an economically freer country than the United States. That's the tipping point that we're now at, wow. where you file your tax returns with the Internal Revenue Service, you have zero assurance that those uh, those tax returns are staying confidential uh, in some IRS file cabinet, right? They're all digital, they can be unlocked by who knows how many people or even uh, uh, disclosed in a hack. Um, and yet you have the Biden administration saying, we actually wanna give the IRS more power uh, to basically tr vacuum up every single transaction you make with your bank accounts and your credit cards so that we can track every single thing you do and make sure you're paying exactly what you need to be paying in taxes. That's what the Biden administration wants to do. And I guarantee you, if that happens, then there will be no privacy left in the United States. And I think a lot of people will want to move to places like El Salvador, where even though Bitcoin is traceable, you have a lot more privacy under that system than you have under ours. Mm. Well, I, I, I feel like this was, is a positive story. I'm really excited about it. I hate to end it on sort of a down note, but maybe this is a wake-up call uh, for the United well, States. Well, let me, let me give you the positive spin. And yeah. The positive spin is this, okay? Think about all the people who are moving from San Francisco to Texas or from New York to Miami, mm. because those places are welcoming to businesses and have a zero state income tax, right? right? That's a form of competition, jurisdictional competition, people moving from a high tax jurisdiction to a low tax jurisdiction. And it inspires other states to lower their taxes to lure those people back, right? Something similar can be true of the US dollar and Bitcoin. If Latin America, if other places become places where the currency does better because it can't be inflated away like the Federal Reserve is doing with the U.S. dollar. Maybe that helps the U.S. government realize that it needs to strengthen the U.S. dollar, make it more of a store of value to bring those people back and retain the people we already have. Well, as, as someone watching the Texas housing market, uh, I can tell you that, yes, there's a lot of people making those decisions right now. There's some good news. Ovik Roy, a president of the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity and senior advisor to the Bipartisan Policy Center. Ovik, thanks so much for coming on the program. I appreciate it. Thanks, too. So when did we decide to stop upholding free speech as a basic right? Did we make that decision? What's playing out now at big tech, uh, you know, social media sites, all of it, really does set a dangerous precedent. And that's why you need ExpressVPN. When you use the ExpressVPN app on your computer or your phone, you anonymize much of your online presence by hiding your IP address. That makes your activity more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your network data to protect you from eavesdroppers and cyber criminals and other bad actors. Plus, it's super easy to use. It just takes one click. I can even figure this out. Like, legitimately, you click it one time, and then it's just on, and you're protected. That's why ExpressVPN is rated number one by Business Insider. Uh, stop allowing big tech to revoke 
our rights to free speech? Why not revoke their rights to your data? Secure the internet with VPN that uh, the VPN that I trust um, uh, for online protection. It's ExpressVPN.com. Uh, ExpressVPN.com slash Stu is the place to go to check this out. E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Stu. Get three extra months with my exclusive link. It's ExpressVPN.com slash Stu. I feel like every few years there's this technological sort of advancement that everyone's all hot on. It's going to be the next big thing. And sometimes they come and they go and nothing really comes of it. And there have been moments where I think people thought that about Bitcoin. Um, you know, I can tell you the first thing um, I ever did in Bitcoin was buy some and it was like at $600 and it immediately dropped by like two thirds. I mean, it was depressing. And I thought, oh, gosh, I, of course, obviously, I invested in it way, way down. Um, we saw in 2017 this massive spike and so much interest. And it went up to 17, 18, 19,000. And people were going crazy. I remember the, the buzz around this building at that time because we had a lot of people who were interested in cryptocurrency here and had made some decent money. And then the thing went, you know, it went down and it crashed. And a lot of people said that was it. We had this bubble. It burst. It was tulips. You know, the tulip prices are gone now and people are going to run from it. They're going to remember this next time. And we saw prices as low as three thousand dollars for one Bitcoin in 2020. Uh, two years ago, we were seeing three thousand dollars. Now, of course, the price has gone through the roof. It's come back down a little bit, bounced back up. It's a wild ride. And if you're not used to that type of thing, it can make you really, really uncomfortable. But I think people are understanding that this risk is sort of built into it. Um, but if you lo hold long term, things have gone really well for a lot of people. But it's so much bigger than the price. There's so much more to it than that. It really is a way to hedge against government insanity. It, you know, a lot of this stuff started with real libertarians and individualists and people who wanted to completely separate themselves from the system. And it's grown into much more institutional interest and in people who really just think there's a lot of promise here. I want to get into that coming up in a minute. I'm going to be hosted, uh, joined by a podcast host and Bitcoin entrepreneur, Natalie Brunel. She's from Coin Stories. I want to pick our brain about the long-term promise of Bitcoin, how we can change public opinion on it. It's not a high stakes role of the roulette wheel. That's not how you should think about it. It's a potentially game-changing system of support for our financial system and so many other things. And we'll talk about what the situation is for new investors and whether we can learn from some of the biggest investors who have been in the Bitcoin space for a long time. We'll be back with Natalie Brunel coming up here in just a minute. Sometimes you come across a company that sells products so great, you'd know they were made in America, even if the company didn't tell you. Uh, but I want to tell you about Grip6, a small business in Utah, sells high-quality, made-in-the-USA belts that look fantastic, function well, will last longer than any belt you've ever worn. These are incredible, customizable belts. They can have laser-etched designs and logos and flags, things that make them uh, personal to you. They're sort of minimalist, but you can adjust them in a zillion different ways. They're interchangeable within sizes. It's, it's really cool stuff. They also have insulated moisture-wicking uh, socks. I happen to be wearing those right at this very second, by the way. My feet's are warm. And I will tell you, I, with Glenn Beck uh, keeping the studio at like 12 degrees, that's really important. They're not these 
big, giant, puffy socks to keep your feet warm. They're normal socks, but they keep your feet really warm because they're made of wool sourced in America. Grip6 uh, it has all their stuff is lifetime uh, guaranteed. You're going to love it. They've got wallets, socks, belts. Check them out. Do yourself a favor and shop American. Grip6 is American as it gets. Right now, their Valentine's Day sale is going on, and you can get uh, buy one, get one 50% off. That's the entire store. Check it out right now. Grip6.com slash stew. Grip, the number six, dot com slash stew. It's grip6.com slash stew. I'm happy to welcome Natalie Brunel to the program. She's a video contributor for Bitcoin Magazine and the host of Coin Stories podcast, which you should subscribe to right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Natalie, how's it going? Hey there. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to chatting. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, For people who don't know you, don't know Coin Stories, can you kind of give us your origin story? How did you get here? Sure. So I'm actually a recovering mainstream media journalist. <laughs> I was a network broadcast uh, journalist for 10 years. I worked my way up from the local markets to national. Uh, I was an investigative reporter for a chunk of my career. And, you know, really this kind of led me to how I discovered Bitcoin. I was actually reporting on, you know, all the all the general news that we report on as local news reporters back in 2017. And I heard about this new piece of technology and I got very, very interested because as a reporter, I was also covering some of the biggest crises that were unfolding on a societal level. You know, poverty exploding, homelessness, civil unrest, crime, public corruption. And I, I never really understood why these problems were ballooning, why in America these problems were getting bigger and bigger, the wealth gap. And when I st- started to study Bitcoin, I became very passionate about it because it addresses a a lot of these fundamental problems. And I finally connected the dots that a lot of these problems had to do with our broken monetary system and some of the things that we never really learned in school, economic theory that I was never exposed to before. And I saw Bitcoin as this ray of light and sort of this uh, symbol of hope. And so I decided to leave my journalism career to basically dedicate my life to educating people on Bitcoin and having sort of a a media um, platform to be able to discuss the topics surrounding our, our money system here in this country and why Bitcoin fixes a lot of the problems. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of people come to it that same way, where you look at particularly inflation as a, as a major issue. It's the number one issue to Americans right now in recent polls. It's the biggest problem they're facing. And here's a, a currency, an idea where that can't really happen. You've got 21 million and that's it. And I think particularly from people who are more on the conservative side, that's how they come to Bitcoin. They see it as like, Okay, we know these policies are really bad when it comes to inflationary fiat currency. Uh, Here's a way to push back about it against that and, and sort of pull ourselves out of the system. Exactly. I mean, I never really thought about inflation years ago and certainly not before I heard about Bitcoin and before this pandemic crisis really inflated our economy to a level that I believe we can't recover from. Um, We have a lot of problems stemming from the concentration of both political power and the concentration of economic power. We have central banks that essentially can expand our money supply. The the money printer has been going burr for for far too long, even before the pandemic, but just accelerated uh, by the COVID um, issues in, in our country and responding to the, the economic shutdown. And at this point, um, you know, I see Bitcoin as this sort of escape hatch from a system that is going insolvent. It is insolvent, really. I mean, if you look to the debt 
the debt crisis that we're in, the debt spiral. We will never be able to pay that debt back. We keep kicking the can down the road and placing that burden on younger and younger generations. Millennials like myself, we feel like we can't afford a home. We can't afford these stocks. We can't afford really anything these days because of the policies that were created by the generations before us with probably good intentions, mind you, that it have resulted with unintended consequences. And now here we are, we have a massive blaring wealth gap. It's getting bigger and bigger the more that they money print. And I think people don't even understand what that means. What is money printing? What is quantitative easing? Why is the mere whisper of hiking interest rates crushing the markets? And Bitcoin addresses a lot of these because, as you mentioned, it is a disinflationary monetary policy unlike ours. It is a fixed supply that once all the 21 million Bitcoin are mined, that is it. And it is the most powerful technology network in the world, distributed with no central point of failure. It is controlled by no one but the network. It is run by the people for the people. And I just think it's an incredible piece of technology that I hope ushers in a more sound economy for the future. You know, I, that's, it's, that's put so well. And there's so much promise there. There, there. There's a promise of being able to stop the things that we all complain about. I think we all complain about the government doesn't do the things that we like. This system here is screwed up. That system there is screwed up. This gives people an opportunity to, to pull themselves out of those, uh, those, those constant pressures and headwinds that we all want to fight back against. And I think, you know, as you, as you watch people develop, and I know you talk to a lot of them, you watch people develop this, this space. It's still pretty foreign, I think, to the average person. They don't really fully understand it. They, they don't fully understand, other than maybe kind of a gambling type investment, what this can do. What do you see as the long-term promise of cryptocurrency? Yeah, so and I, I do want to address that because that's one of the reasons why I decided to dedicate my career and leave a really great, successful career in journalism to do exactly this because education is so important and Bitcoin is really difficult to understand because you have to understand the nuances of our monetary system. You have, have to kind of peel back the layers on the history of how we got to this point of our paper money that's not backed by anything and, and why central governments have so much control and authority, why we have a Federal Reserve. And once you start to understand those problems, you can really appreciate um, the fix that Bitcoin offers. So I don't see so much of a, a, a hope and future in cryptocurrency. That's the term that everyone throws around and, and, and everything's under the, this one umbrella. I actually see Bitcoin is very, very different because Bitcoin is that decentralized, scarce asset. The other ones don't don't have those uh, components and properties. Bitcoin is distributed around the world. It has, you know, a network of thousands of computers and thousands of people who are backing up and securing this monetary asset. And there's not going to be more printed someday so that it could dilute the value of each of your bitcoins. And I'm just excited about the idea that people can work and have their money appreciate in value because today we live in a world where our money is like a melting ice cube if you put it in the bank it's going to lose value inflation that they're telling us that's not that's not the real number seven percent i don't believe that for a second we have gas going up by 40 percent groceries going up by 25 percent real estate going up by 30 percent i mean it's really crushing the people that are in the middle and at the bottom of our economy most and it's making the asset holders and the the big ceos richer and richer and that exerts social pressure on the whole system and everyone's fresh 
frustrated and there's a polarization of our society, which is why we have these like two very polarized political sides, I think. And Bitcoin, again, addresses that. Bitcoin is just it's it's a technology network that can usher in a an economic uh, freedom and economic future that's based on something that's more sound and more normal and, and more based on supply and demand, which it should be, as opposed to manipulation of the currency. Mm. Uh, let's talk a little bit to people who maybe are just getting involved in crypto. Maybe they got kind of this last wave. I, uh, I'm an old timey uh, um, Bitcoin person. Uh, you know, I, the first time I bought Bitcoin, it immediately dropped by about 70 percent uh, within like two months. Uh, however, that fall was from $600 to $200. Uh, so I, I lived through that. I lived through the 2017 thing. We went through 2018 and 2019. I mean, people forget Bitcoin is up 12 or 13x in the last two years. I mean, this is it's still it's still been an amazing ride. But when you're doing this for a long time, these things become normal to you. Uh, you, know, you understand there's going to be 50% drops here and there, and that's just part of this crazy ride. To someone who's just getting involved in this, though, I mean, I see the people panicking online. I've talked to them. You know, the Wall Street Journal did a report where they said someone who bought $150 of, of crypto now only has $60 of crypto, and they, they sold it. Again, I'm using the crypto term because I don't remember which currency it was. Um, but, like, there's panic out there from people who don't understand how this works. Can you talk people off the ledge a little bit? Yeah, sure. And that's that's a really great point. I mean, Bitcoin is up a thousand percent from its March 2020 lows when when the pandemic crashed the markets. And you're right, it is a very volatile asset. But I would rather have a volatile asset that is going up and appreciating over the years as opposed to a stable asset like the dollar, which is just crashing and purchasing power over the years. So you have to be able to stomach the volatility and the drawdowns. If you're you've been in it like you have and I have, they're not new. Sometimes it loses 50 to 70 percent of its value. But look at the long term chart. You have to zoom out and look at this as a long term investment because no one that has ever bought Bitcoin and held it for at least four years has lost money, which is incredibly powerful because there are very few places right there where you can put put your money and not feel like you're completely gambling or risking it. I truly believe that Bitcoin um, is a savings technology and something that you can use to plan for your future. And I don't look at my Bitcoin as something I'm going to trade or sell. I'm not trying to time the market. I'm trying to have time in the market so that I can watch it appreciate and hopefully hopefully accumulate wealth for my family. I mean, what American doesn't want to accumulate wealth or to accumulate money that goes up in value so that they can take care of their family, so that they can pay for education, for housing? I mean, these are basic core things that touch on just the universal needs that any of us have. And I think it's so, so hard to achieve the American dream these days. It's the reason my parents came here from a communist country. I'm from Poland. My family came here for the American dream and the American dream should be achievable. And with Bitcoin, I think it, there's sort of a renaissance of the American dream. Uh, it's really interesting you say that. You, you came here from Poland um, uh, you're, and we've met so many people over the years who came from foreign, uh, from uh, former com communist countries. And there's a real clarity with people who came from those nations when they were beaten down by communism for a really long time. There's a really a special understanding of freedom and the ability to live your own life and have sound money and have, uh, you know, your your life not be built on lies. Um, is that the experience of your family? Did, was there like a real vivid understanding of those differences? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I hear stories of my parents growing up and it was just so difficult. There was no sense of social mobility and um, the people would have to stand in line for basic necessities. You know, it's that idea of you, you will own nothing and you will be happy. I mean, this is a very... Um, it's it's scary to think that we could be headed in that direction in this country. And I worry about that as power continues to um, concentrate with a very few amount of people. And they're exerting that, that power and taking away people's freedoms today. And Bitcoin is really the antithesis of that. I mean, my parents came here because they wanted economic freedom and they wanted their kids to be able to move up in, in social classes by hard work and education. And that should be, you know, that's that should be allowed for everybody. I think if you work hard and you're a good person and you contribute to society, then you should be able to make enough money to take care of your family. And today, unfortunately, because of our system and how it's benefited the the few at the expense of the many, it, it's no longer set up to allow the American dream to to thrive and to prosper. And so I really hope that something changes that. And I, I don't know if Bitcoin hadn't been invented, I think I would have a very jaded uh, dystopian view of the future. And I think with Bitcoin now, I have a lot of hope for the future. <laughs> uh, Natalie, before you go, give me a minute on, on coin stories. You, you talk to people, uh, you have you know lengthy conversations with people who are important players in this space. How do you pick them? Give me a little, give me a minute on the podcast. Yeah, sure. So I interview thought leaders and visionaries who are in the Bitcoin space who came from all different types of industries and backgrounds, but ultimately came to the conclusion that Bitcoin is the answer to a lot of our problems. And I speak to them not only about their backgrounds, their career paths, what led them uh, to Bitcoin, but also why they have so much conviction about it and, and just some of the headlines that surround it. Things like, you know, China banning uh, Bitcoin mining or, you know, regulations coming in. We talk about all sorts of headlines and topics and everything kind of funnels back to both Bitcoin, but also the issues on a macroeconomic level that our country is facing and where we're going to go from here. All right. Natalie Brunel, host of uh, Coin Stories, of course, a video contributor to, uh, for Bitcoin magazine and host of the Coin Stories podcast. Be sure to go and subscribe now. Natalie, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thanks so much for having me. Well, the Super Bowl is coming up. Thanks to crypto, I'll be able to actually go. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, as you may know, we've had a long-standing tradition, which became a tradition only when we started calling it a tradition. That's the, the magic of that word. Uh, so just when you do something that you like, remember, just start saying it's a tra tradition randomly, and then it becomes one. It's awesome. Um, but uh, if you have some crypto, this could be something to in uh, invest in, Super Bowl tickets. Uh, this year, I will say, eh, I mean, you've got... The first po post-COVID Super Bowl for a lot of people. You know, the people that have been masked up in their N95s and three of them, this is the first one, really, they have the opportunity to go to. They weren't considering last year. Uh, and this one's going to be, you know, opened up to everybody. Then you have L.A., uh, the Rams, home team in the stadium, brand new stadium, first time for a Super Bowl. Uh, you've got a bunch of annoying rich celebrities in, uh, in L.A. Uh, I, really, it's a, it's a cataclysmic uh, confluence of events. Um, so I'm a little nervous about how this is going to play out, but we will see here coming up. Another great investment for your crypto profits, of course, Nancy Pelosi sucks pens. In fact, if there's anything <laughs> that you should buy 
more than crypto, I, I think it's definitely a Nancy Pelosi sucks pen. These things are going up in value like crazy. They're available now uh, in the uh, in the store, stewdoesmerch.com or nancypelosisuckspen.com. They're available pretty much everywhere. There's also, this is actually a Nancy Pelosi sucks mug right here, which has just Nancy Pelosi sucks in her signature uh, written all over it. It's a very classy mug, and I think you will uh, enjoy it. Plus, how, am I, how else am I going to pay for these Super Bowl tickets every year? I need you to buy this crap, okay? Just go there and do it, and it would be fantastic. Uh, also, uh, blazetv.com slash stew is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. If you use the promo code stew, you'll save the 10 bucks off your subscription. We do appreciate when you do that because it's it, honestly it's you guys who subscribe and watch every day that uh, make all of this possible and for us to cover these topics that get you kicked off every other source. Um, and don't forget to pick up Glenn's new book as well. It is available uh, by audiobook right now. Um, and a lot of the stuff about the Great Reset can be pushed back against through Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. We'll get into that more coming up tomorrow.